Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up next on the Loverboard Sailing Podcast. You meet people all the time as well who are like, oh, I'll go when X, like I'll go when I retire or when I have enough money for the big enough boat or when I get this level of qualification. And I think if you just go, things will fall into place. So, you know, it's scary making that jump, but it's, you know, once you've done it, you know, you'll find actually everything just falls into place for you. And that's that's the hardest part, almost making the decision to go. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, we'll learn about the Liverboard life in the Greek islands and dive into topics like what's it like to sail in Greece and how expensive the sailing lifestyle is in the Mediterranean and so much more. My guests are Emily and Adam from Two Get Lost, two Brits who decided to buy a boat and figure out the sailing lifestyle in a sunnier climate. We also talk about working from a sailboat as Adam works for an employer and Emily has taken her professional background and turned it into a helpful service for other cruisers. This episode has excellent tips and a healthy amount of encouragement, so let's get to it. Here is my chat with Emily and Adam. Well, why don't we get started with with your guys' sort of origin story? Like, how did you two come to live on a sailboat in the Mediterranean? Because that sounds very dreamy now in the middle of winter. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one, actually. We'd, we'd both always dreamed of sailing around the world. Um, Emily's got a bit of sort of history and heritage in it, in that her grandma sailed across the Atlantic um, on a beautiful old wooden boat called Josephine of Hamble. Um, she actually, she answered an ad- advert in a newspaper um, from a skipper that she didn't even know to do the Atlantic crossing. He was planning to cross without his wife. He was looking for crew. And uh, 
she turned up to apply for it and apparently fit the requirement in every conceivable way, apart from she was drop dead gorgeous. And uh, his wife said, there's absolutely no way you're spending four weeks offshore with that blonde bombshell. Um, so that actually fell through. But then he came to make the journey the other way from west to east, the wrong way across the Atlantic, so to speak. And she was still available. So she ended up jumping on and, and making the crossing, um, you know, which was back in the days before the ARC and everything when it was far less trodden. So um, I was dreaming of sailing around the world when I met Emily and said to her on our first date, you know, I'd really want to circumnavigate one day and I was, and she you know I was like oh you've I don't know I thought you must have read something about me or something because it was a bit of a weird yeah coincidence she, neither of us live near the coast and I was like well you that's weird <laughs> so she was like hey what are your hopes and dreams I was like I want to sail around the world and she went a bit weird and sort of quiet on me and I thought oh no I've said the wrong thing you know she's a home girl she doesn't want to leave but it transpired that that was her dream as well and she thought I was some sort of weird cyber stalker <laughs> who'd like <laughs> you know, somehow stalked her online and found this out as well. So, yeah, a bit of a, a marriage made in heaven. It's worked out really well, actually. What a cool story. I love this sort of little historical angle in there and then keeping the sailing going in the family. So that's fantastic. So you are now in the Mediterranean in Greece. So what kind of boat do you have? Uh, it's a bit of a strange one. We're on a Katie Krogan 38, which nobody's ever heard of. It's an American yeah. Ameri oh, well, Katie Krogan, I think, make trawlers. Yeah, they tend America. to make like power trawlers. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an unusual boat and even more unusual in the Mediterranean. I think there's only another one. Uh, there's one in Scotland, I think, and the rest of them are all in, in America. So, yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a strange boat, but it's so beautiful, really classic looking. And it's a, a bit weird because it's got a really, um, it's got a, a shoulder draft, like a really small, what is it? like draws a meter incredibly shallow draft we draw one meter we've got an encapsulated long keel and then a, a dagger board that you drop um so there's no ballast on the board it's literally just just a board like you get in a dinghy but yeah they're really really unusual boats um they were built out in taiwan in the same yard that builds tayanas and they're quite similar to a tayana if you've come across those so they're real legitimate blue water boats but instead of drawing you know two and a half meters like a tayana does they draw one and then use the board for windward performance. So, so they'd be good for the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, fantastic for the Caribbean. It's kind of what they were built for. The story goes that the, the company who makes them, Katie Krogan, they normally make trawlers, um, but the head of the company was a keen sailor. So he sold enough boats to be able to retire and go off and live the life of Riley. So he drew a sailing boat and had the yard out in Taiwan build him one. And, uh, you know, showed off his new retirement home to all his friends and family who promptly bit his arm off to make him one. And he ended up getting an order book of about 90 of them and coming out of retirement again to build a bunch of these boats. Um, so, you know, nice problem to have. But I think he didn't quite get to retire when he wanted to. Yeah. Oh, wow. That That's really cool. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that it's, it's not a brand that many people know, because I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that. But, you know, that happens still fairly often. So, <laughs> but I, I'm glad it's not because of my lack of knowledge necessarily. So, well, that's very cool. And is it a 38 feet or how big is it? Yeah, that's right. 38, but with a bowsprit as well tacked onto that. So 38 nominal, but I think she's actually closer to 42. But it's like the marinas because the paperwork is Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, the model number's 38. And over here, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but a lot of extra charges kick in once you hit 12 meters. So yeah, that's been really helpful. 
Yeah, oh, that's handy for sure. So let's backtrack a little bit. So you two met, you kind of had the sailing theme in common. I assume you met in the UK and were living there, have, had your lives there. At what point did you decide to head to the Mediterranean? And did you just get fed up with the British winter and decide that, okay, well, let, let's just go? I think it was a bit of that. Yeah. Um, we both we both dreamed of going off on an adventure and obviously sailing was the the theme. <laughs> but we were both, you know, sort of I guess stuck really in our jobs and I was going for a pro- I was a teacher, I was going for a promotion at school, um and Adam was working in London commuting in every day and I didn't get the job. I called Adam in tears while I was at school, you know, I didn't get the job. And he was, you know, very lovely and consoling. And I got home that night and he had a bottle of champagne and he was like, you know, oh, we're going to celebrate. And I was like, well, did yeah, you not like, hear me? Read I the room, the buddy. <laughs> <laughs> not celebration time. And uh, yeah, he was like, no, this is it. This is when we go off on our adventure. This is the sign that we've yep. been waiting for. So yeah, that, that's ki- that was kind of the catalyst, I guess. But yeah. You meet people all the time as well who are like, oh, I'll go when X, like I'll go when I retire or when I have enough money for the big enough boat or when I get this level of qualification. And I think if you just go, things will fall into place. So, you know, it's scary making that jump, but it's, you know, once you've done it, you know, you'll find actually everything just falls into place for you. And that's that's the hardest part, almost making the decision to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right in that. And what a wonderful attitude on something that was, you know, maybe a little bit devastating and turned that completely around, like, forget that this is the start of an adventure. I love that mentality. What a great way to get started on your adventures. So how long have you now been boat owners? Uh, So I have had a boat a bit longer than I was actually living on a boat in the UK on the Thames. Um, because uh, London house prices are preposterous. I wanted to buy a house, but then I remembered I wasn't a premiership footballer and actually couldn't. Um, so I was living on a boat in order to try and like make ends meet. So I have lived on a boat now for coming up to 10 years, uh, about eight and a half, nine years, I think. Um, but we've been on hot chocolate, the current boat, for three and a bit years. Now. Three years. Three years. How about the sailing aspect? Uh, Emily, for you, were you a sailor? Uh, did you know how to sail? Or both of you, did you kind of learn on your own boat? Or did you go take more courses? Or did you already have the skills and knowledge to get going? Um, Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously, having always wanted to sail, I had actually done my competent cruise sailing, LYA sailing course. Um, but I chose Easter. I'm not sure why I thought that would be a good idea. I guess we'd had a few hot Easters in in the UK, so I thought it would be fine. And it was a bit cheaper to do it then. So I went off sailing in the Solent and it was, um, it literally snowed and (laughs) uh, there was no wind. (laughs) And I think the the skipper was so grumpy about having to give these sailing courses in in literal snow that he just wanted us to make sausage sandwiches and sit below in in the warm. So I'm not sure I learned any sailing really. I, I was wearing so many pairs of gloves that I couldn't tie a single knot and uh, <laughs> so yeah after that I don't know why I wanted to go back and sail still but um <laughs> I did and Adam hadn't done any sailing actually no, not even hadn't even sailed a dinghy or anything um but I think something people often overlook in the cruising lifestyle is when you live on a boat you maintain typically all of your own systems um so you need to learn not just about how to sail 
but also like motor skills for example i'd been living on the thames which when you're doing that you're going in and out of locks all the time it's seldom more than kind of six meters wide so you're navigating in marina like conditions all the time so the kind of stuff that makes other sailors sort of go a bit green around the gills like coming into the marina getting into the slip all that close maneuvering like that was what i did all day long on the thames so i kind of had a bit of a advantage on you know some of those close navigation skills and I was refitting the boat that I lived on so I learned all about 12 volt electronics and how to maintain motors and things so Emily brought the actual sailing knowledge and I uh, oh, brought the <laughs> electronics and mechanical and but so then we got we got really lucky and we met we bought the boat without being able to sail um and we weren't really sure what we were going to do about it we just sort of took we knew if we didn't do it we'd never do it and then um we got really lucky and we met a solo sailor he was a sailing instructor and he needed to get over to Greece but he was sailing solo so he really wanted some crew so we went and crewed for two weeks with him yeah and um did our quali sailing qualifications on his boat in when we got to Greece and then flew back to our boat and did the same journey <laughs> so it worked out brilliantly because we got two weeks of you know training from a, a sailing instructor and all the extras you know we learned to anchor we learned about yeah. the, you know resourcefulness living on a boat and all of that provisioning and all the stuff that you don't necessarily get on a skipper ticket but actually is really essential to living on board yeah wow that sounds uh like a really good background that you both kind of had and brought into it combined and indeed a very lucky encounter with somebody who yeah yeah <laughs> that's fantastic you look it was meant to be for you guys to just go and take the scary leap and look it all turned out just fine yeah. <laughs> yeah. well i wanted to talk a little bit about boat ownership because you have a whole three years of more experience than i do on that front so <laughs> Uh, you actually have, I have to uh, applaud you for your website because it is uh, very useful. It is a very good resource for somebody who's planning to make the transition. So thank you for putting all that information there. And and one thing you do say on the website that the first year of ownership is often more expensive than maybe the following one. So I'm curious, how did the first year of boat ownership look like for you? What did you get done in the first year? Were they all things that you were expecting or did you come across some surprises on that front uh do you know it was a bit of a mixture um some things were expected for example we knew when we bought the boat that it didn't have an autopilot um and an autopilot is just so fantastic and indispensable um it's an extra crew person and if you have to do anything you know which requires two people to work the lines or something leaving the autopilot driving the boat is just i mean it's invaluable things like solar and we you know we had a big spreadsheet basically yeah. of all the things that we'd need to do on the boat when we first bought her yeah so all of that was expected and we budgeted for it but then also some of the key equipment on the boat managed to kick the bucket almost as soon as we bought her um and you just you can't budget for that stuff you can have a slush fund but you have no way of predicting which one of those high ticket items is gonna is gonna die so the the windlass on the boat um which was um as old as the boat itself um should have kept going for another decade or something decided that it wanted to strip one of the gears and when we tried to rebuild it we discovered it was this bizarre like helical inverse cone gear that you just you'd never get it off the shelf 
and uh, cue me like cycling around in 38 degree <laughs> Greek sunshine looking for a machine shop where I could like get one fabricated. I actually found a guy that had a CNC and could like make us this gear. But the setup costs were like a thousand euros to have the first one built. And then they were like 10 bucks thereafter. So if I needed a hundred of them, I would have been quids in, but I didn't. I needed one. So anyway, long story short, um, we ended up having to replace the windlass. So that was an extra like 1,500 euros that we just, you know, we couldn't have budgeted for. And I think a lot of things when you first get onto a new boat, you don't know how a lot of things work. And so the chance of you breaking things yeah. by mistake are a lot higher. 100%. The chance of you making mistakes, you know, doing something wrong or I don't know, blow, you know, just small things, blowing things, you know, pieces yeah. and stuff, uh, obviously much higher. So until you know the boat really well, I think all those things are way more are going to happen way more frequently. Definitely in that first year, I think we felt like we spent a lot of time firefighting. Yeah. <laughs> really getting on top of the... Yeah, not literally, figuratively yeah. firefighting. <laughs> yeah. One of the few things we haven't done is set fire to the boat. Yeah, or yeah, that makes sense that there's, you know, there's always surprises. I follow quite a few people online, uh, especially on YouTube, and it, it there's some kind of a Murphy's Law that as soon as you buy the boat and you go on your first sale, something breaks, even though it worked perfectly well up until that point through the sales process. But once it's yours, it's like, okay, well, now it's time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, there's north of 10,000 moving parts on a boat in an incredibly aggressive environment where you've got all these forces acting on it, saltwater corrosion, changes in temperature. I mean, stuff just does break. And it's, I think you've got to, you've got to be quite passionate about owning a boat to own a boat, if that makes sense. With a, a house, okay, there's always maintenance, but you kind of just live in it and let it be. Whereas with a boat, you have to enjoy that stuff because it does take up quite a lot of your time luckily I'm a massive nerd as you can probably tell I do actually enjoy maintaining the boat that's definitely a good quality to have and I was actually going to ask you about your sort of you know if you had any advice for somebody who is thinking of becoming a liverboard so I guess that is already one piece of advice make sure or at least you know it will be beneficial if you enjoy tinkering and fixing yeah. things <laughs> you probably will have to fix things a lot unless yeah. you have loads of money and then yeah. you're happy to pay people to do it that's yeah one of the best bits of advice i've heard is um get the smallest boat you can tolerate rather than the largest boat you can afford something i think people uh, that's easy to overlook is that as a boat goes up in length um, say you double the length, you actually kind of square the number of potential problems. So it's easy to think like, oh, I'll go like four or five feet longer, but you might be adding, you know, you're adding like 10% to your length, but like 30% to your maintenance. So, you know, as the old saying goes, the amount of enjoyment you get out of a boat is inversely proportionate to its waterline length. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, go as small as you can tolerate rather than as big as you can afford. Yeah, that's actually really, really good advice. And it is something that I've been thinking, I feel like I, you know, I started at like, oh, I want a 42 foot boat, just because that happened to be the one that I've done some sailing on. I was like, well, you know, maybe it could be 40. And I'm like, huh, maybe it could be 38. It's <laughs> yeah. new, or it could be 38. <laughs> maybe 36. <laughs> 38's a really great size because you typically have room for guests or like sort of, I guess, ample room for a couple with a pet or a kid or, you know, but it, you've got enough room to have more people on if you want to have friends and family out. We always get told 38's a really big boat. So, <laughs> you know, apparently yeah. this is an all right size. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that is uh, always interesting to hear different experiences from people on different size boats because 
you know, you could be talking to somebody who has, you know, a 50 foot boat and with three people who feel so crowded. And then you yeah, have the yeah. people who live on now, you know, family of four who live on a 38 foot boat or something like, oh, it's so spacious. So there's always a, a different uh, take on all of that. So you are obviously in Greece right now, like you've mentioned, and Greece sounds like a dream destination for any kind of travel, but I'm particularly interested in how do you find Greece as a sailing destination? Oh, it's a dream. Oh, it's paradise. <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful yeah. place. Um, depending on how you count, uh, but using what, depending on which metric you use, there's up to 6,000 islands in Greece. And there's just so many anchorages, like beautiful sandy beaches, um, free town keys that you can come onto marinas in towns that are just completely free to use i mean it's the greeks were some of the greatest sailors of the ancient world and they've never forgotten you know it's it's just one of the best places in the world to sail i think we regularly meet people who've been sailing here for 10 years and have hardly scratched the surface um it is the thing about greece that's probably quite unique is that you can literally just unique in Europe anyway is that you could just the whole time be in a bay completely to yourself if you want if you wanted to you could just literally because there are so many options you could just move around the whole of Greece and just always have a beautiful bay all to yourself yeah (laughs) this is just crazy um so yeah it is amazing and also there's always places that you can be sheltered from the weather because obviously it's all islands yeah so you just move around the island and then you're always you've always got shelter no matter what the wind's doing you can just find yeah safe places to be which is so lovely as a beginner sailor anyway to know that you've got that safety safety net to get away from the wind yeah that sounds actually really ideal for sure and i'm curious how is the liveaboard culture in Greece and um, I've asked this same question uh, from a few guests of mine you know people who are in here in Canada or uh, in the US where the attitudes are um, varying they're not necessarily always entirely welcoming uh, in, in certain marinas it's just not the kind of necessarily the kind of place that is very suitable or, or welcoming for liverboard so how is that aspect in greece because i know there's a lot of people sailing there overwintering in, in you know liverboard marina so how do you find the culture for liverboards over there i actually wrote a post on this if you want to go read it it's called are we homeless <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically looking into like the fact that greece is so welcoming we pay I mean, the the cruising tax varies depending on the length of your boat, but I think we pay £30 a month to be here for our cruising tax. And the amount of free town keys that are available, um, marinas, sure, they're expensive in the summer months, but in the winter months, I mean, you don't, we haven't, we don't, we haven't used a marina once since being here, apart from in the winter months when the prices are actually pretty reasonable. Um, and they welcome people living aboard there's a real community for liverboards there's you know greece is just so welcoming yeah for boats we've never had an issue yeah. whereas if you go like in the uk i mean it's it's much like you describe america and canada there's a handful of marinas and i would say anecdotally less than one in a hundred in the uk that will let you live aboard there's another small handful another couple of percentage points that will turn a blind eye but they'll still make you prove that you have somewhere else to live 
because if they accept you living on the boat, then legally they become your landlord, you become their tenant. And there's all sorts of extra liability with that. They can't get insurance. If they don't like you for whatever reason, whether you give them a reason to or not, e.g. not paying your bills, if you're officially living aboard there, they have to evict you. So they have to go through the courts and get an order to do that. Um, you know, so generally in the UK, they just don't like liverboards. We're seen as sort of, you know, I guess somewhere between like homeless and criminals. Um, <laughs> whereas Greece, I mean, it's just couldn't be any more different. Yeah. It's night and day. It's very normal for people to live on boats here. It's very widely accepted. The marinas are set up for it. They have washing machines and shower blocks. And, you know, even some places they'll be delivering bread around the pontoons or whatever to the liverboards. I mean, it's just... Yeah, they're very welcoming. They thrive on it here, you know, and they're... And, and they make it super easy for sailors. Like, I mean, I, I think there are certain rules about how close you can anchor to beaches and things like that. But, I mean, they're always so accepting and they want, I don't know, They it feels like they want you here. Doesn't yeah, it? Like definitely. it feels like they're very, you know... And there's so much space in Greece. Like I say, there's 6,000 islands and there's only 10 million people live here in the entire country. So, you know, there's a lot of space for everyone. And like Emily said, you can often be the only one in the bay. So, you know, I think it's just, it's the perfect country for cruising. And it almost sounds like the, well, Greece and, and the communities there, they understand the, say, the economical value of the cruisers, whether it's for the winter seasons. I mean, obviously, they do bring money into the communities. So that's uh, that's great to hear. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, they definitely see it that way. Well, you referenced uh, bread there, Adam, and I am curious about sort of the cost and ease of provisioning uh, in Greece, because, you know, you said there's you know, thousands of islands, but obviously they're not all inhabited. So uh, how do you find, how do you find that? How do you, uh, is it difficult to find, um, you know, well-stocked supermarkets or farmer's markets or whatnots? Only 236 of the 6,000 islands are inhabited. So yeah, but that's, that's not as bad as it sounds. Actually, we've never really had an issue with provisioning in Greece. A lot of the time you can find big supermarkets with a good range. One thing I would say is you generally only get Greek food in Greece, which sounds really obvious. Um, but I think coming from the UK, we're used to being able to get amazing curries and sushi and Thai and you know Japanese and whatever, all these different international foods for a very international country. You know, whereas out here it is definitely much more traditional Mediterranean fare, but that's a really nice problem to have because it's great food. Emily is probably the best one to answer the question of cost. So I think the big thing about Greece, well, the big thing, the big the big difference between Greece and the UK is that there isn't the same, um, I want to say, rate uh, options, which which isn't a bad thing because we really don't need to choose from 10 different types of ketchup or whatever when we go to the supermarket. But it does mean that you are always choosing, having to choose because you, you have one or two choices, uh, perhaps more expensive food although saying that when we went back to the uk over winter it was probably similar very similar prices food wise but i think where we expected it might be a bit cheaper they might have like more you know fresh food on option and stuff obviously because of all the islands and they're having to get the produce from one island to the other or whatever it tends to be limited much more limited choice compared to the uk and probably a little bit more expensive we we haven't been to the caribbean on a boat so we can't really compare it to there but it sounds like you get a bit more range here than you do oh, in the 100%. Caribbean. i think a lot of our friends lot have found the price in the caribbean a, a little bit yeah. of a stinger 
that probably the the only bad thing I can think to say about Greece is that the Mediterranean is is quite overfished. Uh, so yeah. if you're somebody who likes to catch your own fish and eat it, then it's it's pretty That's not overfished here. here. <laughs> you know, we've caught a few fish, but it's nothing like the Caribbean where it's just bursting with life. Um, so, you know, trying to think of any any small negative thing to say about it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really interesting because I have actually asked the question from a few of my guests who have been both in the Caribbean and Europe, and they all have said that the provisioning, eating, you know, food, definitely Europe. Like it's cheaper, it's more available, it's more, there's more variety in the Caribbean it's more the, you know, say the underwater world, like activities and things are a little different, but when it comes to food. Europe seems to be the winner. So Europe like in cities, general, yeah. yeah. If you if you're cruising Europe in general in the Med, I mean, you've got access to you know it's Italian food, French. I mean, some of the best cuisines in the world. Um, and like Emily says, the history and culture, you know, places that are six thousand years old, which you just don't you don't experience that in many other we places. Sa- we in started in Sicily and and we visited. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Syracuse, but you get to sail into Sir- into the bay in Syracuse, and it's just spectacular, this magnificent old city yeah. with like tumbling spires and terracotta roofs, and it looks like Game of Thrones. You yeah, know, like like one of the cities in that this mythical sort of you know these incredible architecture and winding cobbled streets, and to be able to just sail into their anchorage, plop the anchor down, and that's your home is right in this amazing city that you could never afford to live in in house yeah but you can put your boat there and feel like you're it is quite quite amazing to go to shore and have sicilian oranges and you know real authentic italian pizza with like these you know little plum tomatoes that just burst in your mouth i mean it's yeah the food in europe's incredible yeah, all of that sounds so fantastic. And uh, I actually do eventually want to sail in Europe. And that's kind of my ultimate goal, but I'm just stuck on the, the other side of the yeah. Atlantic for now. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs> but but so obviously you are from the UK and you just referenced that you spent the last winter uh, back home and I'm wondering whether Brexit has uh, affected that decision at all how you know Brexit has been a thing what is it a year now or a year and a half or something so did it make things challenge you for you because you started before Brexit was a thing and now then you got going and now it's like well huh, bye-bye EU so wh- how do you find that situation there now? Uh, we got lucky and well we didn't get lucky we knew it was coming and we got greek residency here so we're allowed to stay here for a bit longer um 
without and we're not sort of on the Schengen clock but as soon as we leave here which we plan to do this hopefully this year because we like you know we bought a boat to sell the world and we'd like to get going on that but obviously coronavirus and Brexit and things have held us back a bit but um yeah it's going to get a lot more complicated we'll have three months in and three and then we'll have in Europe and then we'll have to have three months out of Europe unless we can find countries that are offering visas yeah, there's, so. a, there's a few different ways you can skin it. One thing I would say is to definitely not let it put you off. Um, I mean, we're constant. Probably half the people we meet are Canadian, American, Australian, you know, people who don't have EU citizenship and are able to make it work. They, you do what they call the Schengen shuffle, where the Schengen area is not actually the entirety of Europe. It's 28 different countries, which is, and there's 37 or something in Europe. So you go to Croatia, Turkey, uh, Turkey Europe, but... Montenegro, uh, Tunisia, all of which border the Mediterranean. You just have to go there and, and run down the clock, basically, until you're allowed to come back. It just basically um, means you're not, you can't dictate your own, you have to plan for it. You can't just do yeah. what you want in Europe. You have to be a bit more thoughtful about it. But that's typically the case with weather patterns elsewhere in the world. You often do have to keep hopping. Or if you want to visit the islands of the South Pacific, you only get short visas usually. Um, so it, it's kind of just put us on a level playing field with, you know, with people from America, Canada, Australia. And, you know, you can make it work. Don't, don't you know, people shouldn't let it put them off. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's very doable and, and does require some strategizing, uh, of course, but many things do when you're on a boat. But for example, you know, if you're cruising in the Caribbean, you'll have to go somewhere for the hurricane season, exactly. you know, uh, if you want your insurance. So so that's something that people over on this side have to think about. What do you do? What's your plan for hurricanes and all that? So at least that's one thing that you don't have to worry about in the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. We do get the old hurricane here. There's been a couple of Medicanes where we've seen, you know, 80, 90 knots. Um, not quite as fierce as the ones in the Caribbean, but it, it does happen, you know. Wow, I didn't know that. Which, yeah, they're called Medicanes. Medicanes instead. So I mentioned your website before, uh, a great resource, and you have written a wonderful post about the many ways in which you can make a living, uh, living on a sailboat. And also you've kind of explained some of the challenges that go with each category of, if you will. So I definitely recommend everybody to go check that out. I'll link that in the description. But I am curious, you as, you know, young cruisers, what do you do for a living? We're lucky that Adam's been able to keep his um, like London job, I guess. Um, so he's just working remotely, which is very much doable if you have a job that will let you work remotely. If you've been working remotely um, during coronavirus, a lot of people have had to work from home. Hopefully businesses have opened up to it a bit, but you can totally do that from a sailboat. You just have to have mm. good internet connection, which in Europe at least has been really easy so far. Yeah, there's a. I think one of the small i'm not trying to say the pandemic was a good thing at all but one of the small silver linings i think it has proved that you know that job that they thought you needed to sit in the office to do can be done remotely and hopefully a lot of people now are staying remote or are taking sabbaticals or at least doing part of the time in the office part of it remotely um, which opens up opportunities to you know to work and travel and to live in other countries and so yeah, we were lucky that Adam's work was a bit before the times in that and let him try it out and see if it would work and was a bit flexible with, you know, that and thing and has been very understanding about that. Um, I was a teacher back in the UK and when, I've, when I'm when i in marinas over winter, I've been teaching 
uh, liverboard kids which is lovely doing some tutoring and things like that I've also set up a, uh, a service to I've uh, been planning lessons for liverboard kids and helping them um, so that's sort of what I'm sort of using my old job for but I've also set up the website which is now bringing in um, an income as well um, so that's really good and I've been selling I've made a, a guidebook for people like you who are living uh, running away to see yeah that's up for sale on the website so if anybody is looking to that takes you from the, the whole process from everything we learned from planning to you know what to do with your house all of that sort of thing all the way through how to choose a boat like to how to choose a boat different types of rigs and keels and you know all, all the, the questions we're talking about we here yeah basically just the, a whole guide and then into like making it work like um you know cruising etiquette and like how, <laughs> how to have not... a cat on a boat <laughs> how <laughs> not to that. murder your significant <laughs> other in international <laughs> waters you know don't underestimate being locked in a small box with a with your nearest and dearest for extended <laughs> periods eating dry crackers and rice oh the highlights of cruising life yeah. <laughs> we often laugh about this because people you know non-sailing people who you talk to they're like wow that's so romantic they've got images of you like you know in like sun-kissed wrapped in white linen like you know oh, yeah. on a sun lounger eating grapes and we're like no I haven't washed in four days <laughs> like we're in we're at opposite ends of the boat so we don't smell each other and like <laughs> basically only preserved by the gin and salt at this point in my life you know um so yeah it's yeah so yeah yeah I basically do a whole range of things but um but the website is now my main source of income, which is brilliant. Yeah, which is really cool because for Emily to be able to make that transition to build something out of nothing, as you'll know, Annika, from starting a podcast, seeing it grow and, you know, talking to all these interesting people and learning so much and sharing that knowledge of others. I just think it's been really fulfilling for you, hasn't it? And to it's be able been to amazing. Do something you're passionate about for a living, you know, talking about travel and helping other people to, to make the leap to running away to sea um you know it's really cool yeah and I'm super proud of you oh thank you <laughs> you can't see but I'm blushing yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good at uh congratulating myself so Adam has to do that for yeah me. <laughs> I have to be like a little angel on shoulder because she's otherwise she'd have a devil on both shoulders you know just <laughs> But no, that's that's great to hear that you are supporting each other and that you've found a way to sort of sustainably keep this lifestyle going for you. And I think you're very correct about the remote work being so so much more popular than it has been in the past. And I really look forward to seeing how people make it work from a sailboat, even with like a full-time normal job, if you will. Yeah. But uh, Emily, I'm interested to hear you said you do teach some sort of homeschooling or, or boat schooling kids. Um, somebody I talked to on the podcast mentioned that actually the Caribbean has a ton of kid boats. It was somebody who had kids themselves. So they thought that the European didn't have in comparison quite as many kid boats. How do you find that the, say, the cruiser demographics in the region where you are now, do you find it being more younger couples, retired couples, families? A hundred percent. The majority is retired couples, I'd say. We've had a hard time meeting younger couples and families are we I've heard from from the work that I do here. Um, the Caribbean is definitely the place for families, apparently. Yeah, we I was teaching in a marina last year where there are about eight kids in total. So I was doing beach schools for them and stuff like that. 
and the marina before that there were more kids went there yeah maybe more like 20 kids but still apparently that's small numbers compared to the caribbean so the one that had 20 kids as well i think there had been some chatter on social media about like let's all go there so that the kids can socialize and have friends and but yeah from what we hear there's there's more of that kind of culture in the caribbean um, but then, you know, you meet people who've gone to the Arctic Circle with kids on board. So, you know, it, it's still totally doable. But I think, yeah, if, you, if that's really high on your list of priorities, then probably the Caribbean yeah. is there. Yeah, no, no, not not high on my list of priorities. I was just curious in terms of like, do you find you find these, uh, I guess, communities of kids uh, that you can go and uh, offer your services? Because I, I imagine it's a very desired service not knowing anything about kids but i imagine teaching your own kids can't always be yeah. uh, you know a walk in the park so <laughs> i imagine parents are quite happy to be like somebody else to teach my kid yeah. yes please <laughs> i think a lot of people underrate how difficult teaching is um like there's a saying in english those who can't teach um i've always thought it's completely stupid because teaching is one of the hardest damn jobs in the world um, you know, it's like herding cats, like it's, you know, <laughs> even just keeping them under control is beyond my limits, let alone educating them at the same time. Um, but hey, you know, a lot of the liverboard kids you meet are like so well socialized from hanging out with their parents all the time. And they've, you know, they've, they've really had that like life experience. They're out like climbing trees and going spearfishing and stuff rather than, you know, just being stuck in a classroom. It's a different kind of education. And one that, you know, in the Scandinavian countries, for example, they really emphasize this kind of outdoor learning. Um, so, you know, don't let anyone tell you it's right or wrong or anything. But yeah, I think there's challenges like drawing the line between being a parent and a teacher must be difficult. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that parents really struggle with is actually knowing. I think it's very easy to think, oh, my child's six. It's fine. I can teach them to read and write. Like, obviously, I can do that so I can teach them. But actually, how you teach a child to do these things is quite complex. So I think a lot of parents start this journey and then go, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I think the planning has been really useful, actually. When I was I set I set up this you know helping um helping parents with the planning and things i set that up last winter when when one of the parents was like i can't do this anymore help me <laughs> and i said right what would actually be useful to you you know when mm. when i go and you've got to teach them on your own over summer because obviously everyone's sailing during the summer months no one's in a marina so there's yeah. been a, a couple of times emily was called in almost just like to arbitrate between husband and wife because like she's like doing the teaching and is like doing a great job but he thinks she should be doing x y and z and is trying to backseat drive it all and emily's almost just come in and gone nah you're doing a great job but like getting that confidence and like an yeah. external you know a third party professional opinion i think is really valuable for a lot of people because yeah, yeah they they want their kids to do great they want to know that they're doing the right things and that they're not gonna yeah, you know mess, mess anything up. up for them <laughs> so as much as it's anything intense, it's about so confidence right. and yeah. kind of coaching you know it's a tough job. I do think for those parents that it yeah. is quite a big, you know, a big thing but, to juggle on top of boat life. But, but what a gift to give yeah, their exactly. children to grow up in that, you know, experiencing these things. So totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, good for you for using your professional background and sort of repurposing it yeah. uh, to match your, the the cruising lifestyle. That's a fantastic example of, of you know, for, for anyone else who's got some sort of a prof professional background that might be useful for, for other cruisers. So that's a great example. 
I'm wondering though, and maybe this is a question for Adam, because you do work in a more, say, traditional working relationship, it sounds like. So what do you find challenging about working from a sailboat? Um, so it's been easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, things that we thought would be a problem before we started, like internet access, have actually been a non-issue. We thought that we would really struggle to get, you know, phone signal because we work by hotspotting off a, off a phone. Um, and we thought that was going to be really difficult. And actually, I could count on the fingers of one hand the number of times where we've had to change marina because we didn't, uh, you know, had to change anchorage rather because we didn't have, you know, a good enough phone signal or something. There have been times like um, I work with um, a really exciting entrepreneur in London who's often creating new businesses and then trying to find venture capital, trying to find investment for them. So we'll get a date in the calendar when we're going to talk to investors. And, you know, two weeks out, we'll know this is a ball that cannot be dropped. We must you know, be on this call, present ourselves, you know, to the best of our abilities and try and secure that funding at a really good valuation. And then maybe two days out, we'll get, we'll look at the weather and discover it's going to be honking 40 knots, 50 knots. And, you know, we'll, I mean, there's, there's been times when I've been taking calls, you can't see my video feed, but I've been like rolling around, you know, and there's like things falling off shelves in the background and, um, so bad. I, there was one that I can think of that was probably the most important call that Adam had. And he was like, right, there's just no way that anything yeah. can go wrong on this. And then typically the weather, well, the weather was meant to be really lovely. But then typically that one time, this huge storm rolled over and we were in completely the wrong anchorage. And obviously we couldn't move because Adam's in the middle of this call. We can't put the engine on. Because you just wouldn't hear me. And so was, I what? just sat up there in 40 knots of wind with these huge waves rolling into <laughs> yeah. the anchorage. The boat's just going crazy. And I'm sat on anchor watch outside thinking we're going to drag anchor at any minute. And I don't, I'm going to have to put the engine on. We got what? Ruin like, Adam's whole business meeting. We had what, maybe two meter waves or something in the anchorage. I mean, it, it would have been a not an inconvenience considerable sea state to be out sailing in powered up but we were at anchor um but you know i really thought it would be harder and it's it's been surprisingly easy um you know the internet's really quick out here it's it's freely available that's probably the only time i can think of that was actually oh and the time that you were working and you had a really important call and we got a tsunami warning that was pretty oh that was good fun (laughs) yeah Uh, Greece is right on the fault line so there was an earthquake in we're in Lyros and it was on Samos the island above us Um, so yeah we got there's an emergency broadcast system in Greece so if your phone's on the network here they can send you messages and uh, yeah my phone went off with this great long message in Greek so I scrolled down it to see what it said at the bottom and it said magnitude four or five earthquake near your location be aware of tsunami risk and you know but again it was okay like Luckily, we didn't get one. Yeah. Turkey did. Yeah, and there's quite a few boats destroyed, um, but we were okay. So touch wood, long may it continue. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so great to hear that for the most part, it seems fairly doable, not entirely without its challenges. But of course, given the circumstances, it still sounds like a pretty good deal. Oh, 100%. Hand on heart, I can say I had more trouble getting to work on time, commuting into London. Yeah. It was much more difficult to be at my desk on time and not absolutely raging and like soaking wet or sweating or whatever than it is to, you know, pop up a hotspot in a in an anchorage. And if I get a bit stressed and cross, I can just jump in the sea and go spearfishing and shoot a couple of fish and come back and I just feel like oh, I can deal with my e- emails now, you know. So, yeah, it's been a great experience overall. and I'd recommend it to, to almost anyone. 
So another thing, um, as we start to wrap up, I do want to touch on costs. And we talked a little bit about, you know, the cost of provisions and such, but uh, you have quite meticulously tracked your costs and kindly listed them on the website, which I'm very grateful for, because it really does give a great idea of what kind of things one might expect or what kind of costs one might expect in that particular region. I find it really interesting to compare these numbers from different regions. And I'm wondering if you know from the top of your head, if you remember, what would be your, say, annual cruising cost on a whatever one year period you want to choose? And or what would be the biggest categories that you spend your money on? I assume it's not internet, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really hard one to answer, because in all honesty, I think you can live this lifestyle on such a small budget, or you can live it you know, you can really spend a lot of money living this lifestyle. So it, it's kind of, mm. to be honest, what within reason, whatever your budget is, you can... You'll spend. You can, yeah, you yeah. can spend. And which is exactly what we found when we first started out. We spent, we were on such a tight budget. We were, you know, really, really working hard not to spend any money that we didn't need to spend. Um, and I think for the first few months, we were living on about £600 a month. And then, and that was after we'd just bought the boat you know all anchoring the whole time anchoring out all the time never using marinas you know things like that making all our own power and stuff but then I think when we realized Adam's job was more secure we started spending more like I think about a thousand pounds a month we were spending roughly so yeah we've probably sort of stuck to about that I know money is not meant to be talked about, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think for so many, this was our biggest question, which is why I wrote such a detailed post on it before we started out. How can we make this work on a budget? Can we live frugally? Because we don't know wh- where our next job's coming from. We don't know how we're going to make ends meet. You know, what realistically, what are we going to be spending? So I think it's such an important topic for people just starting this lifestyle. And I would say you can make it work on a huge range of budgets but our biggest expense is definitely I would say the boat realistically yeah maintenance for the boat but again you choose if you don't have money you make it work and you you know find you you don't upgrade the systems that you don't need to and you you know you only deal with the major problems on the boat and obviously that has a knock-on effect you know if, if you only do that to start with three years down the line you might find yourself with a lot more problems because you haven't you know maintained other things that you perhaps should have but I think you pick your pick your battles and you choose the things you need most for example we didn't have to have an autopilot it has been absolutely amazing but it was a huge expense worth every penny (laughs) yeah it has been but it was a huge expense and if we hadn't budgeted for it we didn't need it you can totally you don't of course you don't need an autopilot previous owners of the boat you know sailed her for 12 years without an autopilot so you know they hand steered all the way from spain to the balearics three-day passage i mean realistically we we started our whole sailing journey and we spent the first three months anchoring out everywhere without a windlass which was another huge expense when our windlass broke but we didn't need it of course it's been incredible and probably you know saved us a lot of times because it is a really um I wouldn't recommend that anyone don't have a windlass but people didn't have a windlass for centuries and got by fine so (laughs) I think you, you pick your battles based on your budget and you 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 can save a lot of money by going basic basically (laughs) yeah it's one of those things where you can spend as much or as little as you want and i think if you always if you if you try and wait until you have enough money to do it 
if you won't try and wait until you have enough money, you'll never have no. enough money because you'll always you'll go, well, uh, OK, great. Well, now I can afford X, Y and Z. But what about the radar? What about the hot tub? What about the water <laughs> toys? You know, and I think just living your normal life can be surprisingly expensive. I don't think many people actually sit and run a budget for what it costs them to exist in their working day job. Um, we worked out that we we could get by are not including the costs of the boat that our sort of daily living costs are the set were the same as what adam spent on commuting into work yeah. on the train fare to my, get him to work my train tickets into london to get to work and be able to earn a living used to cost me 38 pounds a day um which is i don't know what about 80 dollars canadian or something a day so i was doing that you know 20 odd days a month so i was spending about 850 900 pounds on train tickets in a month and we've <laughs> just to, uh, yeah which you don't even want to do <laughs> just to be able to get there and like earn a living and you know i was being paid london wages so it was great it all worked out but if i once i left london i lost that expense and then my rent was a thousand two hundred pounds a month so well over two thousand pounds just to exist that's before food utilities internet clothes entertaining so yeah i mean it costs us a thousand pounds a month to live on the boat and you might look at that and go well, you know, that's like a holiday. It's a thousand pounds, but actually it's the same as it used to cost me to commute. Because um, the boat is your, is your home, is your, home, your you mortgage, make, your rent, your you make, electricity bills, your, you make all your own bills. power. It's your entertainment, you know, it's, and your socializing is maybe like, Hey, let's get some cheap tinnies and like row over to that other boat and knock on their hull and see if they want to like be drunk pirates with us, you know, it's like, <laughs> instead of like, Oh, I'm going to go out to a bar and spend, you know, 10 pounds on a cocktail. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't know, like, I think there's, there's a thing called lifestyle inflation, you know, like where you, you just spend what you have and, and often you, it costs you more to, to earn more, to live that lifestyle of I'm going to live in a major city or something. Then your your rent and commuting and everything really starts to spiral. Mm. So I don't know. It's maybe not as clear cut as it seems until you actually start living this lifestyle. It's maybe a bit easier and more achievable than some people might think. Yeah, I think you're right. And thank you for sharing all that. And I think that comparing the, you know, on land living costs with, you know, building costs or even just looking at how much you're how much money you're actually spending on all the things you do spend money on on land uh, I think for me anyway it, it has definitely kind of made me think that sailing and living on a sailboat is actually way more financially sound decision than paying rent <laughs> yeah it's a funny one isn't it we were watching something on tv the other day where they said about a guy who lived on a boat they said yeah he lives on a boat and i don't know whether that makes him really rich or really poor like, <laughs> yeah i don't know i think um the one thing that i would say is a boat is definitely not going to make you money so yeah you are you are kind of where you buy a house and you do it's your an house up and you expect to sell it for more in them however you know in a year's time or whatever and you can add value to it you you just can't do you can't make money with the you know the old the old saying how do you make a million bucks from uh from flipping boats and <laughs> start with two million bucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you put but, a lot of money into it yeah and, and it's a lot not of blood like, sweat and tears but it, you probably won't ever see that back it's not like a house where you can buy it as an investment and you know like yeah. oh you know if i need if i fall on hard times i can sell the house and get the care home or bail my kids out or whatever needs to be done 
as long as you don't think you're going to make money from living on a boat, then it's, yeah, it's, it's a great way of life, you know? And there's, you know, this whole thing that's been discussed a lot recently, like the, the new rich, like time rich, rich cash poor. I mean, um, you might've heard the allegory about the guy who goes to a Pacific Island. He's like a CEO, a businessman, and he sees a guy fishing and he's like, Oh, uh, you've only got one fishing boat and that's ridiculous. You should get two boats because there's plenty of fish in the sea. And the guy's like, okay, well, fine. What, what would I do with two boats? And he's like, well, you could crew two boats. You could go out and you could catch twice as much fish and then you could sell them to the neighboring village. And then you could have three boats and then four. And he's like, um, okay, great. But what do I do then? And he's like, well, then you could have a whole fishing fleet and you could work until you're 70 and then you could retire and spend loads of time with your family. And he's like, but that's what I do now. I go fishing and spend time with my family. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's the new rich, time rich. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's a really good story. I hadn't heard that before. But you're right, like, okay, the, the lifestyle will not likely bring you money in that sense. But there's a lot of other things that it does give you. And um, so many people that I've talked to have talked about the, uh, you know, just the kind of quality of life and the things they get to see and do and experience. It's, it's all worth, you know, giving up that, say, larger income that they had in living in a big city and all that. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you look at it as selling your time, when you're working, you, people say, oh, I earn this much, but you don't, you sell your time for that much. And you can't buy it back. You can't buy time. So, you know, yeah, it's it's the most important thing. Yeah, no, I, I would uh, agree with you on that. But uh, so you're in Greece now, you got some plans to move around. So w what are your plans now? We've got a really big announcement to make soon, but we can't talk about it yet. It's under embargo. Um, we're just getting all our ducks in a row and then we're going to have some really big announcements. So, yeah, we're really, really excited. Lots to announce but soon. Definitely carrying on this cruising lifestyle. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And I love that little teaser of something exciting is coming. So <laughs> cliffhanger. It's a great cliffhanger. It's a great way to end an episode. But do tell us where can we actually go and follow what's going to happen next? Yeah, definitely. So uh, we have the website to get lost.com, T-W-O, get lost.com, um, which is where Emily writes all these fantastic cruising guides about how to get lost to um, and run away to sea and generally be a salty pirate. We also have a YouTube channel where we document our adventures. But hey, you know, that's you know mostly for our friends and family and stuff. But you guys are welcome to check it out. We're to get lost on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. Um, so yeah, it would be great to see you guys over there. And we get a lot of uh, mail, you know, like emails and comments and things from people who are interested in running away to sea. And, you know, we really value hearing from people and replying to those. Yeah, and, please do write to us. We yeah, it's really nice. Little community going yeah. on there. So, you know, if you guys have any questions, yeah. you know, or just want any info or just want somebody to talk to before you make the jump, that includes you, Annika. Um, <laughs> always great to hear from people. So yeah, to, to get lost.com. That's fantastic. Well, Emily and Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to share the stories and advice today. Oh, yeah, it's been wonderful. so lovely talking to you. Yeah, lovely talking to you. What a lovely couple. I had a lot of fun chatting with them and it was so encouraging to hear about Adam's positive experience of working for an employer from a sailboat. And I have linked the two Get Lost website and social channels in the description. So definitely go check out the website as it has a lot of good information for someone who is planning to make the transition into the liveaboard life. 
Next week, it's time for something else entirely. So stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, you can come say hi on Instagram or Facebook, or you can come check out my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash liverboard sailing podcast. That's all for this week. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.